Hello, everybody. My name is Charlie. I'm an alcoholic. By the grace of God, Alcoholics Anonymous and sponsorship. I've been sober since October 28, 1990. It's kind of depressing to me. I would have hoped that the first thing Tanya would have noticed about me was my stunning good looks. <laughs> but I guess that wasn't the case. Um, I've had a great time so far this weekend. Um, I really enjoyed Derese and Mark. I've heard several times. And uh, I tell you, it's tough to follow Mark because I'm a, I'm a Cub Scout compared to an alcoholic of that caliber. I, uh, I just did not go to those links. Um, I don't know. It's hard for me to think about where to start when I look at my life or wherever it starts because uh, I've just been kind of absent from my life uh, all my life. You know, when I look back at my childhood, I don't have a lot of childhood memories or anything because I just wasn't paying attention that much of the time is uh, the best thing I can tell you. Um, all I remember about my childhood really was, uh, you know, just hanging out and causing trouble. I, uh, I was a really an ornery kid. I like to I like to put other people in positions to be hurt, is what I like to do. I mean, I, uh, I can remember being a kid and throwing rocks at the chickens in my grandfather's backyard, and uh, I just like to cause trouble. I wasn't, I wasn't that interested in other people, was what happened with me, is that uh, I realized early in life that I didn't like to lose, and uh, I know a lot of people in Alcoholics Anonymous talk about having a sense of inadequacy or feeling less than, and uh, I don't like to lose. I don't ever like to lose, and so I don't. I can't win all the time. That's something I realized really young: is I can't win all the time. But I realized that if I cheat, I up my odds greatly. I up my odds greatly, and so I'm the kind of guy that cheated you all along because uh, that way I could win more often, and I couldn't handle losing. And one of the one of the things that uh, caught my attention most when I was new in Alcoholics Anonymous is I heard a guy say that if you can't lose, you can't play. And uh, and that's, that scared me, is what it did, because uh, that hasn't been the way I operate, I guess. Uh, I don't know. I grew up, I went to church a lot. I went to church a lot growing up. I, uh, the reason I mention that is I hear a lot of people in Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, badmouth their religion as a child or whatever and talk about, you know, that they fear God or the God of their childhood. We read the Bible and stuff when I went to church, and I learned about a kind and loving God. Um, he never went around and slayed anybody or anything, and and I thought Alcoholics Anonymous would be a snap to me when I got here, when I figured out that it had something to do with God. And I, I've since realized that I knew a lot less than I thought I did. But uh, really, that's all I remember, is I'd go to church and, uh, and try to hurt the other kids, uh, and... Uh, used to watch the Steelers all the time. Dick told me not to mention the Steelers, and I respect my elders in AA, so I won't mention them from here on out. And, uh, and that's just, uh, <laughs> just kind of what I did. I, uh, I just kind of ran through life with no, no idea what I was doing. No idea. And a magical thing happened to me and when I was 13 years old. I was out with a buddy of mine, and we had no idea what we were doing, and... Uh, We'd gotten a bottle of Jack Daniels from a guy, and we were standing behind the Knights of Columbus Hall in Lincoln, Nebraska, of all places, when it hit me. I mean, Mark talked about remembering, you know, your first drink, whatever. I, it's the most crystal clear moment of my life. It's not when I started drinking. It was when the drinking hit me. I mean, when I was there for the first time in my life, I, I can remember I had my left arm wrapped around a pole, 
my right hand holding the bottle of Jack Daniels. My buddy was standing about 12 feet right this way from me. The moon, it was a full moon up here. I can remember the way it glistened across the grass. I mean, it was, it was incredible. It's not, that, it's not that I'd never felt that good before in my life. I never knew that a human being could feel as good as I did at that moment. And I looked at my buddy and I said, I said, this stuff is great. I said, why isn't everybody like this all the time? I didn't come from no alcoholic home. I mean, my, I've never seen my dad drink. And I've seen, a, my mother would have a beer occasionally, you know. And uh, I quickly realized that the error in their ways, um, because this stuff was incredible. And I, and I went after it with great enthusiasm, with great vigor. I, I loved it. Um, when you're in junior high, at least when I was in junior high, I didn't drink all the time. I just, I didn't have it available to me and so forth. And I would go out on, on weekends and so forth and I would get bombed because uh, I had drank one time occasionally to this magic night and I'd had a couple beers with a friend and I had uh, no real experience with it soever, whatsoever. I mean, I'd had a couple beers and nothing seemed to happen to me and when I got... When I got there that night, I knew it was great. So I knew how I wanted to drink. And when we'd go out and drink, that's exactly the way I would drink. And, uh, and I loved it. I hear people in Alcoholics Anonymous share that uh, they chase that illusion of their first drink for a long time. My drinking was as good as that first time I got there for probably five years. I mean, I wasn't chasing that other drink. I was having a ball every time I went out and got drunk. I was, my life was fun and it was exciting and, I, it, was, and it was basically hassle-free. And I didn't have responsibilities in my life. You know, my money came from my parents, and I had everything given to me. And school was not a problem. I was I could cheat. I could cheat. I uh, I didn't need to study or worry about that. I would skip class all the time. I would go to class. I would cheat. I maintained honor roll all the way through high school, and uh, I drank every day through the last couple of years in high school. And I was just I was having fun. If I looked at my life at this stage. I wouldn't have wanted to be anyone in the whole world other than myself. And, uh, and I don't know whether I was an alcoholic or not at that time. I knew that I drank all the time. I knew that I loved to drink all the time. And that my life was fun and that I had a, and I had a host of friends. And I, and I enjoyed things immensely. A series of circumstances and misunderstanding, um, people started arresting me. And, uh, and that was of great annoyance to me. Um, <laughs> Because it makes you look bad. I mean, it makes you look bad. They, uh, we're anonymous and alcoholics anonymous, but uh, but you're not when you get arrested. I mean, they put that stuff right in the newspaper, and and I would be embarrassed, and uh, and I would be uncomfortable in situations, and I didn't. And really, I thought, you know, I'm going to give up drinking because it makes me look bad, and I don't like to look bad, and uh, and I'm a. I'm pathetic at quitting drinking is the best I can tell you because uh, I would go through these stages and uh, and I would just be miserable when I didn't drink. I had never contemplated suicide prior to the first time that I quit drinking ever in my whole life. I mean, not as a child or anything. I can't remember ever thinking about killing myself. But when I'm sober, I'm miserable of and by myself. And... Uh, and I have no control of my emotional nature is the best way that, that I can describe what goes on with me. I, had to, I was dating this gal through my senior year in high school that I just adored. I used to think that I loved her. I used to think that I loved her. 
Um, today I know that I, I really knew nothing about love prior to coming to Alcoholics Anonymous because I believe that love is an unconditional thing and I most certainly did not love her unconditionally. So, so I adored her. And, uh, and she meant the whole world to me. I just, I'd do anything for her but give up drinking, in all honesty. And, uh, and she didn't like that at all. And she would bitch a lot, a lot, it, like as much as my mother and the rest of my family members and stuff. I mean, these people were yapping all the time. And, uh, and what they would say to me all the time confused me because they would tell me that, uh, that you need to quit drinking. They'd say, they'd say, why do you drink the way you do? And you can't talk to a person that thinks like that because I'm looking at them saying, why don't you drink the way I do? You know, because this is the best part of my life. I mean, this is the part of my life that I enjoyed the very most. And what happened was that, uh, is that, it, that I thought I loved this girl. And then I realized that loving somebody makes me weak makes me weak because if I love people they can hurt me and I uh, I don't like to hurt I don't like pain and uh, and so I cast this girl off I broke up with her because I thought it made me look macho and the whole world would think I was strong and that was the only reason I broke up with this girl and I was to find out a few months later that she was pregnant and she didn't she didn't tell me you know I mean she didn't want me to know at all and that just that just ate my lunch I mean, ate my lunch, and what inevitably happened was that, uh, is that she had this child, and we put it up for adoption, and, uh, you know, to, to some degree, that still eats my lunch today, and it ate my lunch to a large degree through the end of my drinking the first couple of years that I was sober, because I just couldn't deal with that. I have a little brother that's nine years old, and he's the apple of my eye, and I love him to death. And ever since the day he was born, I dreamed about the day that I would have a son. And, and I did, and I had to give him up. And uh, if you do something like that, you'll feel like a failure in life. I mean, if you have any sense of decency, because I did that, and I felt like an utter, an utter failure. And, and I just couldn't live with myself. When I would, I would contemplate killing myself all the time, I would try to quit drinking. And what would happen with me is the first step says that we're powerless over alcohol. And what happened with me is that, uh, is that I would tell myself, I'd say, now don't drink, don't drink, don't drink. And I would go through this phase over and over and over my mind through the day. And one of two things would eventually happen over the course of a few days. Is, one was, is that I would go so crazy, I would go so crazy that I would justify a drink. I would justify it. I would say, I would say, I deserve relief. I deserve some relief. A man's got the right to have a beer. And I would justify it and rationalize it in my mind where it was okay to drink. And, uh, and then I would start to drink. And inevitably what would happen when I start to drink is that I end up looking at myself in a mirror late at night, like when I'm walking out of a restroom, and I see how pathetic I am in the mirror. And I just, and I just look at myself and I think, how the hell did I get like this again? I, I didn't want to get like this. This isn't what I was looking for when I made the decision to take a drink. The other, the other avenue that my, drink, or that my staying sober would take is that I would stay sober for a few days, you know, going through my mind all day, don't drink, don't drink, don't drink, don't drink, and I would look down and I would be halfway through a beer. No fight, no resolve, no nothing. I mean, 
I would just be drinking, and I would look down, and I would say, how the hell did this happen? How did this happen to me? I wasn't going to drink. I mean, I was, I was dead serious about not drinking. And somehow I would, uh, I would pick up this, this can of beer, and, uh, and I would be off to the races all over again, and I would lose control of my life. Um, I, did, I just did a lot of things that I didn't want to do. I mean, when I left high school, now I told you I drank every, every day the last couple of years I was in high school. I mean, I was a partying kind of guy. And my classmates still voted me most likely to succeed when I walked out of my senior year in high school. And uh, within a year and a half, I'd flunked out of the University of Nebraska. I mean, I'm the kind of guy that gets drunk and comes two, three days later. And, uh, and that's hard to be expected to take tests and prepare papers and so forth when you don't know when you're going to come to again. And, uh, and so I... My life was just spiraling downward, and I was ver- downward, and I was very uncomfortable. I mean, it just felt to me like my skin crawled all the time. Um, I hated, absolutely hated, to go see my parents. That was that was a that was the worst thing that I could suffer through. Because when I would go see them, what I would do is I would see all my neighbors when I came up the street, everybody that probably saw my name in the paper the last time I'd been arrested or whatever. I was embarrassed to see those people because my neighborhood, I had a lot of had a lot of older people living on the street and stuff, and people that were near and dear to me my whole life growing up, and, and uh, they meant a lot to me, and, and I knew that there's no way that they could respect me. And then I would go home, and I would be faced with the knowledge that my parents loved me, and, uh, and that, is, that is something I absolutely cannot accept. I cannot accept having somebody love me because... At this point, I, I hate myself, and, uh, and so anybody that would love me isn't worth respecting because, they, I mean, they should have enough sense just to get the hell away from me. And, uh, and things were just crazy. And what eventually happened with me is that about three weeks before my, what I hope and pray was my last drink is that I surrendered. I surrendered to the fact that I was powerless over alcohol, and that nobody could do anything for me. I was beyond human aid. A, a and B on page 60, the big books of a big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I knew that day, and so I made a conscious decision that that if I could do nothing about this, that my best hope was just to die drunk. Because if I'm gonna if I'm gonna die, I don't want to suffer through this sober. And so I said that I'm just gonna drink until I die. And what I did is I just went through a daily routine. Of uh, you know when I when I'd come to in the morning, actually what I would do is I would crawl out of my bed down onto my knees and I'd put my head in my hands and I would just cry, I would just cry, and uh, and then I'd get up and I'd get ready to go and uh, and I would just start drinking before I even left the house, and the and the opportunity came one night, I was I was driving a friend's car, out east of Lincoln, and uh, and I knew the road took a 90 degree turn on the right. And then if you went straight, it was about a 20-foot drop into a creek. And I said to myself, if I go straight, it'll kill me. The drop will kill me, and it will look like an accident to everybody. I mean, people won't think that I was a coward. They'll just think he was drunk, and he, and he wrecked the car, and he'd have been a great guy if he didn't drink. You know, Charlie would have been an all right guy. And, uh, and I thought that I would fool God and man. And that's key, because I told you I grew up going to church all the time, and if you're actually a Christian, 
you know that you can't kill yourself. You can't kill yourself because my life here sucks, and uh, and I'm hoping that when I die it's going to be better. So I got to fool God when I take myself out. So this was key, and uh, and so I fire right off the right off the side of the steel. And the last thing I remember is just everything going black, and and having a sense of relief, and uh, and then I have this vague vague recollection of I'm up on the side of the road, and and this friend of mine is is holding my head in his hands. And he's crying because I can feel his tears falling down on my face. And he's talking to me and he's saying, he's saying, you look great. Don't die. You look great. Don't die. And, uh, and he thought I was dead. I, uh, I ended up going through the passenger side window of the car and I'd done a lot of damage to myself. When I came to that next day, I was in a whole world of pain. I mean, that was the big deal with me the next day is I'd never imagined, I'd never imagined hurting the way I hurt that day. I mean... My spine looked like a ball of yarn. I had part of my ear cut off. I had the entire insides of my mouth stitched back together. I'd broken my nose in like four places. I had stitches all over my head and damage to my legs. And I was, I was just in unbelievable pain. And, uh, and I knew that if, that if God had wanted me out of the picture, he would have taken me out that night. You know, I gave him the perfect opportunity and somehow I lived, and so I had some sense that I was, that I couldn't even kill myself, really. And so, here I am, alive, powerless over alcohol, and, uh, and I just thought my life is going to suck forever. And what I ended up doing is I said just a short prayer, and what I said was, I said, God, I don't know anything about quitting drinking or staying quit, but I can't do it. And, uh, the amazing thing is, is ever since the morning I said that prayer and just a ball of physical pain, I haven't had that compulsion to drink. The problem was, when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, is I was crazier than a loon. I, uh, I, you know, I was asking a newer guy outside here, you know, what brings him to Alcoholics Anonymous. And I did not come to Alcoholics Anonymous because I thought I would drink. I, I just didn't. I really didn't think it was possible I didn't think it was humanly possible for me to drink anymore. And um, I'd lay in bed so long at night, I could see through my eyelids without falling asleep. I mean, my mind was just racing uncontrollably. And, uh, and I ended up, my health insurance company had sent me to some treatment center. It was an outpatient kind of deal, and I, would, and I was sitting there, and I don't, to this day, I don't know what the hell they talked about. But it didn't seem to have nothing to do with anything to me. And, you know, I don't have any opinion on treatment centers whatsoever because I don't even know what they talked about. But I know that I would sit there all the time and I'd listen to these people and they would, like, draw graphs and charts and everything. And none of them talked about being crazy. And so I didn't think these people had any idea what I was going through. But I had this buddy that I grew up with that had been in and out of Alcoholics Anonymous for a long time. And he was sober in Alcoholics Anonymous at this time, and he'd been calling me about once a week for a few months trying to get me to go to these meetings. And really my hang-up there was that I didn't think this guy was an alcoholic. I just didn't. I drank with him. I thought he was kind of a lightweight, kind of a pansy, and I just didn't think he was a drunk. But he got me to this meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, and it's my home group today. It's a Wednesday night pocket of enthusiasm meeting in Lincoln, Nebraska. And... Uh, Scared the hell out of me, really. 
I, if you go there, you'll get greeted. I mean, you'll get greeted like 50, 60, 70 times is what you'll get greeted. And this meeting was only a few blocks away from where I grew up. And I walked in here and I was just amazed that all these alcoholics lived in the neighborhood. I didn't know they were from all over town. I grew up in a very quiet neighborhood, you know, filled with a lot of older people. And I never, I never saw a cop on my street growing up that was looking for anybody other than me. And so I was amazed. I was amazed that there were all these drunks in the neighborhood. But they were all seemed so excited to see me that I figured that they'd been waiting on me, really. But then uh, I wasn't overly impressed with your fellowship from the start. I was impressed that that you that everyone in Alcoholics Anonymous spoke so freely of, about themselves because I didn't like I didn't even like talking to myself about myself, let alone other people. And these people would tell you know would tell things about themselves that that normal people just would never do and that impressed me but i would go to meetings and people would say they would say read the book read the book read the book but what i heard was read the book to see where you identify and i did not need to read the book to see where i identified because people would read how it works before the meetings and they would read they'd say there are those two who have grave emotional and mental disorders but many of them do recover if they have the capacity to be honest. So I did not need to read your book to figure out where I identified because I already knew that. And I would attend meetings to figure out when people were going to tell me how to get better because I noticed that people in Alcoholics Anonymous smile. I noticed that. I never smiled. I never smiled. I was miserable. So I'd go to these meetings and I would go to, and I'd go to one meeting that asked me to read the steps. I'd go to the next meeting that asked me to read the traditions. Next meeting, they asked me to read the steps. I figured out these people in Alcoholics Anonymous were so excited to see me because they could not read. <laughs> and they needed me to come to the meeting to read this stuff for them. And they wanted me to read this book so I could tell them what was in it. And, uh, <laughs> and it was a mess because I tried to do that. But I had no retention. I mean, I would read a paragraph over and over and over again. And it, and it made no sense to me when I got here. Um, if you're new in Alcoholics Anonymous, you're probably going to be crazy a while. I can tell you that. Uh, I've, I've been running Alcoholics Anonymous ever since I got here, and, and I truly am an activist in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. But I was crazy for quite a while. And so I'd read this book, and it made no sense to me, and, and thank God I got a sponsor. And as I shared last night, I had no idea what a sponsor was. But thank God my sponsor knew a whole hell of a lot more about what was in that book than I thought that those people that I thought were illiterate could know. And, uh, and he imparted his knowledge of that book to me. And, uh, and he talked to me about the things we do in Alcoholics Anonymous, and a lot of them have been shared tonight. You know, I learned about service right off in Alcoholics Anonymous. I never learned about it as an optional thing. And I, and I learned about studying the traditions and uh, in any links. And what, what happened with me is I, I was very fortunate. I was not around Alcoholics Anonymous very long when I heard it, somebody that I identified with. Because initially I'd come to meetings and everybody would share a lot of experience with drugs. And they would carry on. They'd say, a drug is a drug is a drug. And I'd say, I don't know what the hell this guy's talking about. I mean, he's talking about phenobarbital or something. I have no clue. I have no clue. I like vodka. And, uh, I li- I, and I'm cheap, so I like cheap vodka. 
and and I know what's in a bottle of vodka, and I and I did not know what they were talking about, and a and a guy named Tom I from Aberdeen, North Carolina, came and spoke in Lincoln, and that night he stood up there and he said, I always felt that sober was the worst condition a human being could suffer, and uh, and there was no question in my mind that he knew what was going on with me, and. And he talked about being very active in Alcoholics Anonymous. I mean, when at the close of the last meeting, they read off page 164, and it says, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. And that's not talking about just a regiment to follow. I mean, that's talking about doing everything. And that's the message he carried. He was a very low-bottom drunk. He disclosed his story in a general way, but he insinuated very strongly that he was a Democrat. And that just blew my mind. And that, that he had any conception of God whatsoever. And I figured that surely if this guy, if this guy could get this thing, that it would be a cinch for me. That's, that's just really what I thought. And, uh, and, uh, but he inspired me is really what he did. And, uh, I know some people say they don't have heroes in Alcoholics Anonymous, but I'll tell anyone in the world that that man is mine because, uh, I've been running Alcoholics Anonymous ever since. Um, you know, I talk about abandoning yourself to God as you understand God. I mean, I go to meetings all the time. I went to, I never went to 90 meetings in 90 days. I never did because Alcoholics Anonymous meant nothing to me until I related to another human being. It didn't mean anything to me. You know, after I heard Tom, I went to nine meetings a week for the first two, two and a half years I was sober. I go to six or seven a week today. And... Uh, I'm just running around Alcoholics Anonymous all the time trying to be of service to other people. And I, and I started taking these steps. And I tell you what, I, I worked clear through these steps and, uh, and, I, and I had a big hang-up. First time I worked through these steps because it says in step 12, it says, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, and I thought I haven't had one. That was a big hang-up with me is that I've worked these steps, I've had no spiritual awakening, something is obviously wrong. And, uh, and I was right, I was right, that I hadn't had one, but I was wrong in the essence that I, that I thought I had worked the, step, the steps. And my work was good. I mean, I, was, I wasn't holding anything back. The problem is, is that I never really understood this deal with character defects. I never understood that. I would go around meetings, Alcoholics Anonymous, and I would ask people because I knew that my ego was killing me. I knew that my ego was killing me. I would, and I would talk to people, and I would say, "What do you do about this step seven? And I thought that was my problem with step seven. I'd say, "What, what do you do about this?" And people say that there, you know, there's nothing stupid said in Alcoholics Anonymous. I'll tell you, one guy said the stupidest thing I ever heard to me about step seven. He said, "You ask God to remove them, and then you act as if they have been." And I just looked right at him, and I said, if I could do that, I said, I wouldn't even need God. I mean, I'm, it, I believe that God has all power, and, uh, and, I, and I absolutely rely on that power, because inevitably what I found out was really three, three and a half years in Alcoholics Anonymous is that I was never willing to let God remove my character defects. And that what was what was hanging me up all along, because he ain't going to take them away from you as long as you're holding on to them. And that's what I was doing, is I was holding on to them with both fists, because they protect me. Because I go out into the real world, 
and I feel like people are throwing arrows at me and that I need these things to defend myself. And the second time going through the steps is that I, is that I was able to see that a lot more clearly. And I was faced with the proposition that I was either going to have to let God be the principal and the director, like it talks about in step three, or, or I was never going to, I was never really going to feel free and happy in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I didn't come here to be miserable. I did not come here to be miserable. I was miser if I wanted to be miserable, I'd have just stayed out there. And uh, when I faced a proposition and said that I'm willing to be whatever God wants me to be, everything fell in line. Everything fell in line. And uh, I was kidding my sponsor Thursday night that uh, that I have a that I have a great ability to carry the message because I hear people I hear people in AA say oh I, you know I need my wife or I need money or I need this or that and I, I don't have any of those things I don't have any of those things I have no money I have no money I don't have a girlfriend I don't have a, I don't have any of the things that a human being would think that you, maybe you need to be successful out in the world. And uh, none of that stuff. I'm the happiest guy I know. I I can't remember. I cannot remember the last time I didn't smile at least 90% of the day. I mean, I have so much fun participating in my life today, and that scared the hell out of me when I walked in anonymous. Scared the hell out of me. Because pe I'd come in today and people would say, you'll be happy, joyous, and free. And I've never been that. You know, I've never been happy, joyous, and free. I thought that if I went around smiling like an idiot all the time, somebody just beat the hell out of me. Because that's what I wanted to do when I saw people who were like that. They annoyed me. So I, I went about... Today, I smile all the time. If I was, if I was the old me, I would hate it. And what has happened is that uh, I have a host of friends. I mean, you know, I came up here this weekend... There's friends of mine from all across the state here this weekend, and, and I've met Art from South Dakota and Jerry from Kansas, and, and I've been able to meet just a lot of neat people that I would not have had the opportunity to meet. And I had this, and I have the same opportunities all the time. When I, I'll go to a deal in Iowa, you know, to, usually what happens is I go places to hear Tom speak. Whenever Tom comes somewhere in the Midwest, I go to see him, and then I meet a host of new friends, and I have I have friends like I do in this room all across the Midwest. People that, people that, and, uh, and today I can accept, and I can accept people's love because I believe, I believe that I'm one of God's kids today. And I believe that everyone is around, around me is, is, and on those conditions, I can't judge people. I cannot judge people because I cannot judge another human being with, and that, and that is so free. That is so free. And I know that some people think that I like, in Lincoln, they'll think that I think that they're a great member of Alcoholics Anonymous because I'm always polite and conjovial with them. And I might think they're a pathetic member of Alcoholics Anonymous, but I still think they're one of God's kids. And, and, and so they have my affection for that reason. And I've just had a lot of great honors in my life. I tell you what, I'm, I'm at kind of a new horizon in my life. I'm, I, my first sponsor directed me to go back to college. I didn't even know I wanted to go back, and uh, he didn't. He did not ask. He did not ask. He said, uh, "I told him when I took the fifth step that I'd flunked out of college," and he told me that I was going back. And I started back, and I thought he was crazy. Thought he was crazy all along, and uh, 
and I'm looking at finishing up my college career next Saturday. And uh, that amazes me. I kind of feel like I did when I walked out of high school. I felt like everything was in front of me then, and I thought that I was, and I thought I was going to do great. And in all actuality, I just fell right on my face. Is what I did. But today, you know, I look at it with a, a whole new perspective because because I have God in my life, and I, and no matter what happens, I'll be successful. Because even if I'm a flop and I make no money and nothing works, then it'll just increase my ability to carry the message that God is everything and God makes me happy, or. You know, and if I'm successful, then it's proof that God did that, because I'm, I'm a basket case of and by myself is all that I am. I mean, I am, I am good at very little. I do great for a little while, and then you get into the clutch, and I'm a choker. I just, I just freeze in the clutch of life. I, um, I had a real emotional week this last week. I was getting ready. Actually, I moved on the way up here this week to where I'm going to go to work and so forth, and I'm just going to go back to Lincoln and finish up my finals, but. You know, I went to some meetings that uh, that I knew that I wasn't going to be back to, and that was hard because those are filled with people that saved my life and that and that I love very dearly. It was hard. This Mark guy sponsored some other people through a surprise going away party for me Saturday night, and I was and I was deeply touched. I was deeply touched, and what happened to me Thursday was even was even more amazing to me. I've had this job for the last couple of years that that a drunk shouldn't have. What happened was a couple of years ago, I was on vacation. I was back back in Pennsylvania visiting visiting relatives, and I got a call from my stepfather telling me that uh, somebody from the state capitol had called asking for me. And uh, and if you're a drunk, that'll make you a little paranoid. <laughs> and uh, especially when you find out that they're uh, from the State Department of Justice. And, uh, but they had... They, they offered me a student intern. And I would walk into the building. I swear to God, every for the first thing there, I just would marvel at the building. I would just stare at it. And, and in the back of my mind, I knew all along that as soon as they figured out that I didn't belong here, I'd be gone. I figured out they would discover the grave nature of their error. I mean, government attorneys are not like alcoholics. I mean, they're really square people. And... Uh, you know, but I'd go to work every day. But I really had a kind of a sense of impending doom all along. And and Monday I realized that with four days left that my sense of impending doom was getting lessened quite a bit. You know, I was starting to think that maybe I'd make it. Maybe I'd make it. And Thursday I walked into work for my last day of work. And they had banners and cards and cake and cookies. And I knew all those people there loved me. Uh, and I don't realize that in the real world. I don't realize that in the real world. I, I recognize it in Alcoholics Anonymous, but those things that go on outside of the doors, like Mark talks about, are amazing in my life. I mean, I never thought that I would have the respect of people around me. I never felt that I was, I never felt that I was adequate to be a member of the human race, really. And uh, it was... I tell you what, I wanted to cry so bad, and uh, and I and the male pride is a deadly thing. But I held in and I did not cry. And uh, as soon as I got out the door, I, you know, they just flew. You know, I mean, I couldn't believe it. I I couldn't believe it. And uh, 
my my whole outlook and perception of life is completely different today. I mean, I walk out the I walk out the door and the sun is shining. I think the grace of God falls like rain. And uh, when I walk outside and it's raining, I think about the sunlight of the spirit. You know, I just I look at the whole world through different eyes, and that that enables me to be because. I always felt lonely all my life. I mean, whether I was with my family, my friends, whatever. And and there's a reason I felt lonely is that when I never share me, that I'm never going to feel like somebody accepts that way. And there there are a lot of people in this room that know me for exactly what I am. They just beat my head and my sponsor laughs at me. And he's, he's, everybody loves my sponsor. Drives me nuts because he just... I'm excited about so many different things. I'm excited about the International Economist. I'm excited about the West, the West Central Regional Service Conference next August or whatever in Wyoming, ready? Because I have so many great friends that I can go and see. It's a great blessing, and I don't know what else. I know I didn't talk, but about half as long. I'll shut up. <laughs> Thank you for having me.